0: On today's Winning Cures Everything, is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party moving? Georgia said they're not going to the White House. Oh, and of course, they're dealing with a lawsuit now. Uh, The Big Ten is changing scheduling rules. Notre Dame may not be with Under Armour anymore. Missouri sets new NIL laws, hypothetical playoff scenarios, and a whole lot more.
1: It for forty years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to
0: Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host, a confident young man, a superb athlete, Gary Segers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, powered by US where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. This is, of course, the Friday, May 12th edition of the show. It's season 8, episode 28. And if you're watching on YouTube, thank you, of course. If you would so kindly, hit that like button. It looks like this. And whether you are watching or listening to the podcast, hit subscribe so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. My daughter is graduating high school tonight. And I know a lot of you cannot believe that I'm that old. Trust me, part of me can't believe that either. Uh, But man, part of me feels significantly older than that. So this is a big night in the Seegers family this evening. Enough about that. Enough about all of the the other personal stuff. We got a lot to discuss in the world of college football. So let's go on and get to it. We'll go on and write down our times and let's let's rock and roll with this thing. Uh, Is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party changing venues are the gators and the dogs going to play somewhere other than jacksonville the florida georgia rivalry game could be moved out of jacksonville in 2026 and or 2027 due to renovations at tiaa bank field (coughs) excuse me Uh, the game has been played in jacksonville since 1933 uh, with only two exceptions in 1994 and 1995 the game was played on campus sites uh, while the stadium was being renovated for the jacksonville jaguars uh, Florida Athletics Director Scott Strickland told The Athletic that he is expecting their innovations to take two years. Uh, Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry said that the 2025-2026 seasons uh, could also be an option. So, you know, 2025-26-27, whatever it may be, right? If the game is moved out of Jacksonville, it's possible the Jaguars could actually move over to Gainesville, Florida for a couple of seasons. Uh, the AD Strickland is pushing for it. Ben Hill Griffin Stadium Uh, could certainly be an option for the Jaguars during the two years that they're unable to play at TIAA Bank Field. Uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart said that he does not have a strong opinion on where the game should be played. Now, he sees benefits to both playing in Jacksonville and having a home-and-home series. Now, I'm going to stop right here because we all know that that's crap. Uh, He does have a strong opinion on it. He's been pushing for it to return to campus as recently as last year because he wanted to be able to host recruits for that game. That is the biggest game on Georgia's schedule every year, and it's always in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, but to his credit, there had been talk about the home school being able to host recruits at the game in Jacksonville. You just won't get to show the recruits, you know, the campus in Athens, which is a big selling point for them. Uh, but Smart did talk about it. He said, there's really quality benefits to both. I enjoy the pageantry of going down there and playing. I enjoyed playing there as a player. I enjoy tradition. Uh, but when it comes down to it, there's a very, very basic element of everything that comes back to, number one, money, and number two, recruiting and getting good players. Uh, I firmly believe that we'll be able to sign better players by having it as a home-and-home because we'll have more opportunities to get them to campus. Exactly. Uh, The decision of where to play the game will ultimately be up to the two schools, but uh, with renovations at TIAA Bank Field looming, it's a decision that's going to need to be made sooner rather than later. Like, I, I, like Smart, enjoy the tradition and the pageantry... Uh, but I do like to see a little shakeup from time to time. So this could be interesting to see, you know, something different in this rivalry as opposed to uh, the typical, you know, shots before the game of the crowd in the parking lot, etc., right? Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS with fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and an easy to use layout. It's easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sports book for nearly thirty years. And right now they will give you to play with, with no deposit required, just by signing up using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal. Get signed up over at BetUS where the game begins. Uh, And also, uh, make sure to check out my How to Bet series over at BetUS TV. And of course, subscribe to the BetUS College Football Show on YouTube. Uh, Parker, Kyle, and I are going to be coming back in June uh, with some early game previews, some team previews, etc. So make sure that you check those things out. All right. Staying on with Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs, the current college football national champions, have announced that they will not be visiting the White House in Washington, D.C., despite receiving an invitation from President Joe Biden. Interesting, right? The Bulldogs' decision was based on the date suggested for the visit, which was officially June 12th. According to the university's athletic department, uh, this date poised excuse me, poised, opposed challenges as it coincided with a period when classes were not in session and the football team was not actively practicing. Uh, in a statement, Georgia Athletics expressed gratitude for the invitation. They conveyed openness to future opportunities for Georgia teams to engage with the White House. Uh, Georgia head coach Kirby Smart uh, talked about it before a Pro-Am event for the Champions Tour on Wednesday this week. He said, it's a tough deal. Timeline, or Timeline-wise, it didn't work. Traditionally, I went three times, uh, when I was at Alabama, and it was right after the game. That didn't happen. We didn't have a date set, and we've got 700 kids at a football camp at our place, June 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's the number one time for recruiting for football coaches. Now, for those that, that don't remember, Nick Saban turned down a chance to meet with President George Bush back when he was with the Dolphins. This was 2004, 2000, whatever it was, um, or 05, something like that. Uh, now, this it, that wasn't a team thing. He probably could have changed up his plans <clears throat> to make a trip to the White House. Uh, but some of these coaches, man, they are they are wired differently. Like if if it interferes with the recruiting or with workouts or anything like that, it just ain't gonna happen. So as Smart continued. He said, "You got 600 to 700 kids coming to your campus. You can't leave to go to the White House and have no one on your campus. So the time just didn't work out. Uh, there was nothing political about it. I've been before. It's very educational. It's a great experience. Now it's worth noting uh, that the I guess ongoing or." recently ended COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted the traditional practice of national championship teams visiting the White House. The last college football team to visit was the LSU Tigers and they won the championship in 2019, met with then-President Donald Trump in January 2020 uh, before all this COVID mess. Since then, neither the 2020 champion Alabama uh, nor the Georgia Bulldogs, winners of the last two, have made a White House visit. And related news, it has been reported uh, Washington, D.C. will host a college athlete day on june 12th Uh, the event is expected to include multiple championship winning teams Uh, while the bulldogs declined the invitation others such as uconn uh, and lsu's you know uconn's men and lsu women's basketball teams they have accepted invitations Uh, they will visit the white house in late may Uh, further details about the event are anticipated to be released by the white house soon Uh, interestingly the iowa women's basketball team uh, you know they made the national championship game against LSU. They lost that game. Uh, They declined an invitation. They expressed their preference for the tradition of only the championship team visiting the White House. And that decision seems to, you know, reflect a realization that the significance of the visit has diminished a little bit due to the introduction of College Athlete Day, which will involve shuffling participants through various events with, you know, without a specific focus on the champions themselves. Uh, The once special experience now kind of lacks the exclusivity it once held. Uh, Seth Emerson, who covers Georgia for The Athletic, he reported that the White House had tried to work with Georgia on a date for a while, and Georgia couldn't make anything work. So, obviously, some people in the social media world believe that this thing could be political, even though Smart said it wasn't. Uh, But let's be honest here. If this did not happen right after the championship game in January, when it typically does, it is tough to get the entire team together to go and make this visit. The NFL Combine's in late February. The NFL draft is in late April. Georgia had 10 guys drafted. Had several guys that, that graduated and that are you know now undrafted free agents on teams, etc. You had staff members take new jobs. Like The logistics don't work if you don't do it right after the season when you've still got the guys around. Uh, but Either way, it's something to monitor. We'll see if the college football national champions ever make it a regular thing again, especially now that the CFP is moving further into January. I'm I'm curious what this is going to look like going forward. Now let's uh, let's move ahead. A potential shift in the Big Ten Conference's non-conference scheduling requirement is being man. Let me restart this thing. We (laughs) here's our end cap. We're going to do it at 9:40. Good gracious! A potential shift in the Big Ten Conference's non-conference scheduling requirement is being discussed, as reported by Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. According to McMurphy, the conference is strongly considering eliminating the mandate for Big Ten teams to schedule a Power 5 non conference opponent as part of their non conference schedule each season, uh, starting from the 2024 season. Teams would still be permitted to schedule games against FCS opponents. Uh, This potential change coincides with the addition of the USC Trojans and the UCLA Bruins to the Big Ten. Now, while the conference's scheduling format is yet to be officially determined, McMurphy notes that the Big Ten is expected to maintain a nine-game league schedule unless any unforeseen circumstances arise. Uh, The expansion to a 16-team league in 2024, including USC and UCLA, is likely to impact the conference's scheduling dynamics, including how often teams have to travel to the West Coast, etc. Uh, When you schedule a P5 opponent in those non-conference games, those are normally done as home-and-homes, so basically, you know, you play here, we'll play there kind of deals. Uh, It's important to note that college football schedules are often planned well in advance with teams already having opponents set for the upcoming seasons. Uh, Despite the potential removal of the P5 non-conference requirement, uh, many Big Ten schools have already scheduled P5 opponents through about 2030 or so. Now it remains uncertain whether these schools will retain their power five non-conference opponents, or if they're going to make adjustments to their schedules by reducing the number of P5 teams they'll face outside the conference. Uh, As noted, Ohio State has already canceled their series with Washington that was slated to begin next year. Uh, They'll have to buy out of those contracts if they want to get out of them, and and some of those can be pretty expensive. So as the changes to Big Ten scheduling are still being discussed, the full extent of these adjustments uh, is really yet to be seen. However, it is evident that a shift is on the horizon. Uh, This development is undoubtedly going to be a topic of interest and worth monitoring in the coming years, in my opinion. Like, this is not going to affect teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, et cetera. Of course, I say that, and Ohio State just canceled that Washington series, but I think this is being done more for schools like Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana uh, so that it's easier for them to reach bowl eligibility. Like, if the SEC moves to non-conference games, I imagine you'll see that P5 non-conference opponent requirement go away for them as well. Uh, you know, at Ohio State... Just on Thursday, they added home games with Marshall in 2024. And then 2029, they've got Nevada and Charlotte. Or Nevada, Nevada, whatever. We've been over this. Uh, but it's those are both seasons where they don't have a P5 non-conference schedule yet. In 27 and 28, they play Alabama. In 30 and 31, they play Georgia. Like, I don't think we're going to have to worry about this with the bigger teams. Uh, a big part of this is also the fact that In some years, teams could have only four home conference games if you've got a nine-game schedule, uh, and then they'll have five road games. A lot of those are going to include a trip to California. If you toss on another road P5 game, I mean, you're just getting ridiculous at that point. Only six home games. You've got six road games all against Power 5 opponents. It could include a trip to the West Coast. It could... I mean, all sorts of things. Like, I, I do remember, however... I do remember being told... Uh, With the expansion of the CFP to 12 teams, we were more likely to see better non-conference matchups. Uh, I don't think that they took expansion into those thoughts. Uh, At the end of the day, the win-loss record is going to matter a lot more than the strength of schedule. At least it appears. So it looks like the Big Ten is getting ahead of that as well. Uh, The SEC, of course, deciding between 8 and 9 games. Now the Big Ten may not require P5 non-cons. Like, what a world... We are living in with this scheduling game going on. I mean, it's it, this this sport's going to look drastically different going forward. Just unbelievable. Uh, on the other side, we got to talk about Notre Dame's apparel rights going to market, Missouri's new NIL advantage, Georgia Athletics dealing with a lawsuit. We got hypothetical CFP scenarios and a whole lot more. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the Bet TV College Football Channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review.
1: Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added.
0: And now, back to the show. Is Notre Dame going to be wearing the Nike swoosh on their jersey soon? Are they done with Under Armour? Now, we've talked a lot about Notre Dame on the show recently, but it's been about joining the Big Ten or their new media rights deal, uh, coaches leaving, etc., right? We've talked a lot. Well, it looks like a new apparel deal might be in the cards for the team as well, uh, as their contract with Under Armour is set to expire and the exclusive negotiating window has now also expired. According to Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger, Notre Dame is exploring all of their options and is ready to hit the open market for a fresh deal. Uh, Dellinger reported, Notre Dame may be in the market for a new apparel deal. The Irish's exclusive negotiating window with current apparel sponsor Under Armour has expired, uh, thrusting arguably college football's most valuable brand into the open market. Now first, I love that sentence. Arguably CFB's most valuable brand. Like, don't get me wrong, Notre Dame is a big brand, but that one sentence got so many people fired up on Twitter and and other social media. Uh, Regardless, it it is an exciting time for the Irish, as, you know, other big players in the apparel game, Nike, Adidas, etc., they could be knocking on the door. Uh, The current deal between Notre Dame and Under Armour, which was worth a whopping $90 million over 10 years, is going to come to an end after the next season. Uh, Now, while Under Armour is still in the running for the contract, the allure of Notre Dame's brand is expected to attract bids from other major apparel companies in the college game. Uh, For Under Armour, losing Notre Dame could be a significant blow uh, to both their bottom line and their reputation. Uh, Although they do represent schools like Auburn and Wisconsin, uh, the Fighting Irish have been their prized catch in recent years. Uh, The Notre Dame Under Armour deal has its own twist, right? It includes stock as part of the payment to the school. However, uh, the value of Under Armour stock has taken a considerable hit. It dropped from twenty-seven dollars at its peak in 2019, and it is now eh, almost eight dollars today, like seven dollars seventy-one cents. Like apparel deals are no joke when it comes to generating revenue for college athletic departments. Normally, apparel companies pay an annual licensing fee of around five to ten million dollars to powerhouse programs in football and basketball. In some cases, schools also receive a cut of royalties from merchandise sales. It's usually like ten to fifteen percent. Uh, plus, the company is responsible for providing the school's athletic teams with gear worth two to $3 million per year. And so you toss that on to whatever it is, uh, whatever it is that Notre Dame is looking for in their media rights agreement, uh, yeah, you're talking a chunk of change. So we're going to have to wait and see if Under Armour steps up to the plate again or, you know, if the heavy hitters, Nike, Adidas, et cetera, if they make the play for the Irish. Uh, it, this is all about finding the perfect apparel partner uh, for one of college football's most iconic brands, And it could go a long way to figuring out whether or not Notre Dame is going to stay with NBC for their football package going forward. The state of Missouri is making moves in the name, image, and likeness game. Last year, Governor Mike Parson signed an amended bill making Missouri one of the early adopters of NIL reform. Uh, Now they're at it again. They are making a significant change to their NIL legislation. The Missouri House passed House Bill 417, and the coaches from the Missouri Tigers, including football coach Eli Drinkwitz, they were right there witnessing the action, right? Experts are saying this bill is going to shake things up in college and high school NIL in the Me State. Now, to me, it looks like Missouri is keeping a close eye on what's happening in states like Arkansas, Texas, uh, and even, honestly, the surprising veto by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. Now, if you haven't read about that, Google Stitt vetoes Senate Bill 840. Like, it will blow your mind. Uh but either way, so, so what's in the revised NIL legislation in Missouri? Uh, we'll break it down for you. Number one, coaches and school officials can now attend meetings where student-athletes negotiate NIL compensation with third parties. Like, this is all about transparency, right, folks? Uh, the legisl- Number two, the legislation ensures that conferences and the NCAA cannot penalize a school for its athletes receiving NIL money. Investigating schools for NIL activities or penalizing them for, quote, institutional marketing associate paying athletes is off the table, too. Like, I'm sure the NCA just loves that one. Uh, and it clarifies that student-athletes are not considered employees of the university. I mean, we're just clearing up all the gray areas, I see. Uh, but here's the big one. The updated NIL law in Missouri allows high school recruits to start earning endorsement money as soon as they sign with in-state colleges, pending Parsons' signature, of course. Uh, but that's right it's a game changer in recruiting for in-state schools. Missouri is stepping up and they're saying, hey, uh, you talented high school athletes, we want you to stay in the state and you can cash in on your NIL right from the start if you sign with one of our schools, like Missouri, St. Louis, whatever. Uh, Sports attorney Mitt Winter thinks this is a huge advantage for Mizzou and and other state schools, of course. It gives them a better shot at keeping those talented athletes at home. Like it's a win-win situation for the athletes and the universities. And it's also worth mentioning that until now, the Missouri State High School Activities Association did not allow high school student-athletes to engage in NIL activities without losing eligibility. Things are changing, my friends. Uh, Missouri is on the board with the Every True Tiger Foundation, and St. Louis University alumni have launched the Billiken Victory Fund. Uh, they're making sure that those high school athletes have the opportunity to benefit from their NIL rights. Right off the bat. Like, this, this latest move shows uh, that Missouri, you know... It, the NCAA is going to have a tough time slowing down the NIL momentum at the state level. Like experts believe that we are headed for a showdown between the states and the NCAA. Uh, the NCAA, as we have talked about, is uh, is putting all of their hopes in Congress and in Senate uh, to preempt state laws and come up with some kind of federal bill regarding NIL. But like we all know, the 2024 election cycle is approaching. It's unclear if that thing's going to be successful or not. Like I know that uh, Charlie Baker. Uh, the new NCAA president is really pushing on Capitol Hill, uh, but the states are making their move, and and the game's heating up. Like Missouri is setting a new precedent in NIL legislation. It's going to be exciting to see how it all unfolds. I would imagine that this means we're going to see more states try to pass laws that help their in-state schools as well, which you know could be tricky for those states that have already opened up high school NIL across the board, not just for state schools uh, in recruiting. Right. Uh, let me give you a quick reminder. Hit that like button for me. Make sure and subscribe to the channel. The like button looks like this. Subscribe is the other one. Uh, this is a one-man operation. So every like, every subscribe, every podcast review, every time you share it out or tell a friend about it, that helps me out. Along with, you know, picking up something from the merch store, stuff like that. That obviously helps me as well. <laughs> and, uh, and you'll be wearing the brand. so people ask about it. You can tell them about the show. You guys know the deal. You guys know the deal. But yes, I would appreciate that if uh, if you would so kindly. Tell a friend. All right, Georgia Athletics is dealing with a lawsuit from the January tragedy that happened after the national championship celebration. Georgia offensive lineman Devin Willick and Stafford Chandler LaCroix lost their lives in a, I mean, just a devastating car accident uh, the night after Georgia celebrated winning a second straight college football national title. Uh, It was later revealed that LaCroix, who was behind the wheel, was driving over 100 miles per hour and had a blood alcohol level well over the legal limit. Now, it later came out that They were likely racing another car, and as a result, star defensive lineman Jalen Carter had to face uh, misdemeanor reckless driving charges. Uh, Willick's father, he recently filed a $40 million lawsuit against uh, Georgia Athletics uh, and against Jalen Carter and the Chandler LaCroix estate. The lawsuit filed in Gwinnett County Courts also roped in, and I hope I say this right, Sarchion Auto and the Toppers International Strip Club as defendants. Uh, The Willick estate is seeking a mind-blowing $30 million in compensatory damages and an additional $10 million in punitive damages from Carter. Uh, Dave Willick, Devin Willick's father, who happens to be the the court-appointed administrator of the estate, he had previously filed a separate $2 million lawsuit against the University of Georgia. However, uh, Willick's mother has stepped in, contesting the claim, uh, is arguing that the wrongful death claim is jointly held. Now, she's keen on working together with Willick's father for now, but hasn't ruled out filing her own lawsuit down the line. Uh, Willick's lawyer, he's got some pretty big allegations here. Apparently, LaCroix and other Georgia staff uh, recruiting staff members were busy pounding drinks at various events, some of which were catered by people working for the Athletic Association. According to the lawsuit at the time of the accident, LaCroix's blood alcohol content was more than double the legal limit. And as we already knew, thanks to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the university provided the vehicle involved in the crash to LaCroix. Uh, It was a recruiting vehicle. Willick's attorneys claimed that university officials were well aware of her rap sheet that included four speeding tickets in just six years. Uh, Let's not forget about Jalen Carter, of course, the star defensive lineman. He ended up getting a slap on the wrist, but you you all remember what happened. Uh, He got all this news broke as he was at the NFL Combine. He had to fly back, then he flew back up to the Combine. Uh, but again, slap on the wrist, he got 12 months of probation, a $1,000 fine. He got 80 hours of community service after pleading no contest to those reckless driving charges. Uh, however, the lawsuit throws some serious shade at Carter. Uh, it suggests that the defendants knew about his reckless driving history as well. And to make matters worse, they claimed that the fatal accident occurred uh, because of the street race involving Carter. Uh, now, there were survivors as well. Former Georgia player Warren McClendon and another staffer named Tori Bowles uh, were also in the car during the crash. Uh, They did suffer injuries from the wreck as well. Uh, Haven't seen anything about lawsuits with them, um, regardless. Uh, During the Georgia spring game, the Bulldogs paid a heartfelt tribute to Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix. Head coach Kirby Smart made sure to honor both individuals, acknowledging their absence and expressing the team's longing for their presence. It was a a touching moment to remember them and pay respects to their lives, of course. uh, The University of Georgia Athletic Association did issue a statement on Wednesday night in response to the lawsuit. It said, the attorneys who filed the complaint have refused to provide any factual basis for their claims against the Athletic Association, and we believe the evidence will prove them to be without merit. Uh, It said, we intend to strongly dispute these baseless allegations in court. I I mean, we're going to see where this ends up. I mean, to take an initial $2 million lawsuit, change it over to a $40 million lawsuit, and involve all of these other people? I mean, yeesh. Like, I, I get... Like, I know you can't put a price on a life... Uh, But this is going to be interesting to see how this goes in court. I mean, it seems like it's getting way more complicated, but who knows? Like, I I can't even begin to understand what those parents are going through, but I don't necessarily know if this is the right way to go about it. Uh, Who who am I to judge? Either way, it's going to be interesting to keep up with. I know that. All right, let's talk college football playoff scenarios. Uh, Greg McElroy recently analyzed a hypothetical situation that we have never seen in the sport. Uh, The five Power Five champs go undefeated. Who gets left out? Now, during an episode of Always College Football, McElroy answered a mailbag question about what the playoff committee would do if all five Power Five conference champions went undefeated. Now, the writer gave the example of Clemson, Georgia, Texas, Michigan, and USC. So McElroy, of course, dove right into it. As I'm sure some of you remember, this happened in the BCS back in 2004. Uh, Auburn was the odd man out after Oklahoma and USC ran through the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Now, could you imagine an SEC team being left out in that scenario these days? Uh, Highly, highly unlikely. But either way, uh, he pointed out that when considering non-conference matchups, Clemson would have a win over Notre Dame. USC would have a win over Notre Dame as well. Michigan would have a win against Ohio State, although Michigan's non-conferences, I mean, just bleh. Uh, Texas would have, or excuse me, Texas would have a win over Alabama. Uh, Georgia, the defending champion, does not have a particularly strong non-conference schedule, uh, but they will have an SEC championship game. So, again, uh, McElroy believes that Georgia's overall resume and the eye test, of course, would still impress the committee, especially since they've won the CFP the last two years. Uh, technically, that shouldn't matter. But we all know, right? So in that scenario, five teams from five different conferences going 13-0, who gets left out? Now, McElroy ultimately picked Clemson as the team that would miss out. Uh, He made it clear it's not a knock on the Tigers. It's a matter of simple math, right? You got four spots. You got five undefeateds, which one is uh, less likely. The SEC and Big Ten champions, very likely to have secured their spots, leaving everyone to wonder, you know, how the committee is going to evaluate Clemson, Texas, and USC along with their respective conferences. Now, I tend to agree with McElroy. Uh, why Clemson? According to him, it all boils down to how the committee would compare the ACC to the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Like, if all three teams, Clemson, Texas, and USC are barely scraping by with close wins, at that point, it would be kind of difficult to predict their fate. Uh, you got to figure out factors like team performance in the final month, improvement over the season, playoff experience, you know, all that kind of stuff that would come into play. And I can understand his reasoning here. It all makes logical sense, right? But I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Like, the CFP is basically run by a group that wants to see the best TV ratings so they can sell it at the highest price, right? I mean, you're you're still in a situation where you're working on contracts. You're trying to figure out what you're going to get after 2026, or I guess after the 2025 season. If Georgia and Michigan are automatically in, and we would assume that they will be, even though they will have the, the weakest non-conference resumes. Uh, it comes down to Texas, USC, and Clemson as to which two are going to bring in the higher TV ratings, right? Like the L.A. Powerhouse, the state school of the second most populated state in the U.S., or the second largest university by enrollment in the state of South Carolina. Like, you see where I'm going with this? You, you leave it to chance, you're not going to like the results, Obviously. Uh, But let's keep in mind, this is an extremely unlikely scenario. It's just an off-season hypothetical. It's not real life. McElroy's analysis, like, that kind of sheds light on his perception of the the current value of the ACC. But that's about it. So, I mean, we'll wait and see how the actual college football playoff field shapes up. But, man, if this actually happens, like, could you imagine the drama? I mean, I live for this kind of stuff, doing a college football talk show, right? (laughs) I mean, this would be... Absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, I can't wait to see what would happen in a situation like that. Lane Kiffin, the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels, he recently opened up about his special relationship with Alabama coach Nick Saban. Now, while Kiffin is known for his playful jabs at other college football coaches, his respect for Saban goes beyond casual banter, I guess we could say. Uh, during an interview on S, uh, excuse me, Sirius XM SEC radio, Kiffin discussed his admiration for Saban and uh, credited him with reviving his coaching career during their time together at Alabama. Now, Kiffin served as the Crimson Tides offensive coordinator, and he's credited with helping modernize Nick Saban's formerly three yards-in-a-cloud-of-dust offense, right? Kiffin spoke to SEC Radio. He said this, I think it's maybe an unusual way of uh, showing respect for what he did for me. First of all, I respect the guy as the greatest college football coach to ever coach college football uh, because he's doing it in the era different than Bear Bryant and some of those names because of scholarship limitations compared to back then. He said, imagine Nick Saban had unlimited scholarships or like 150 players. If he could take 150 players, like good luck to everybody else. I mean, it would be Alabama and Georgia, I guess. So for him to do what he does is unbelievable. And then for what he did for me personally, it was unbelievable. So it's kind of like one of those, like, he's like a family member where I can joke about him or something. But if somebody else does, it really pisses me off. And this part cracked me up. Absolutely. Uh, he the relationship between Kiffin and Saban is unique, like it's it's played a pivotal role in resurrecting Kiffin's coaching career. Uh, you know, after we'll we'll call it a tumultuous journey, like he had stints in the NFL, uh, Tennessee. He was head coach at USC. Remember, he got fired on the tarmac, and then Kiffin joined Alabama as offensive coordinator in 2014. Now, the experience definitely helped him rebuild his reputation. Uh, and following his time with Sabin, of course, Kiffin went on. He was the head coach of the Florida Atlantic Owls, where, you know, he won two conference titles in three years. He landed the head coaching position at Ole Miss. Um, you know, he continues to do things at Ole Miss that just are not common. A 10-win regular season there had not been done since, like, the 50s or 60s. It's just ridiculous. Uh, and Despite now competing against each other regularly, like, Kiffin and Saban maintain a mutual respect. Like, I remain convinced that the reason that Kiffin didn't take the Auburn job is because he wants to be the coach at Alabama once Saban retires. Like, you can't do that if you're the coach at Auburn. Now, whether or not that happens, it's all way up in the air, but their relationship has been one of the more fun ones to follow in college football. And so we'll we'll continue seeing it this year. Of course, they got a game this year. We'll see what the schedule looks like going forward, obviously, but that is what it is. All right, we have got some more things for you to know before we get out of here today. Uh, NC State at UConn, that has been moved to Thursday, August 31st. It's going to be broadcast on CBS Sports Network. It does always amaze me how many schools are willing to move their opening games to Thursday. Like, it, it does give a, a school nine days of rest before their Week 2 game, so you've got a bit of an advantage. But, you know, along with this UConn game, we've now got Nebraska at Minnesota and Florida at Utah on the opening Thursday of the season is what it is. Either way, we got a lot of options on that first Thursday. Uh, Paul Feinbaum announced that Phyllis from MoGA, the first lady of the Feinbaum show, uh, she has passed away. Now, if you never heard her calls, she may be the most passionate Alabama fan in the world, outside of maybe Harvey Updike. Uh, But go YouTube some of her calls if you haven't. The world's a little bit darker today without her here. Uh, She will certainly, certainly be missed. The ACC meetings are next week, and there are rumors abound that news could break of members openly lobbying to leave the conference. Now, Clemson is the heavy favorite to make the most noise, so obviously uh, let's keep our ears to the ground on this one. We'll we'll see what ends up coming out of that one. And finally, last but not least, the Orange Bowl this season has been moved from an 8 p.m. kickoff to a 4 p.m. kickoff on Saturday, December 30th, Because apparently, the NFL decided to give ABC and ESPN a Lions versus Cowboys game at 8 p.m. that night. Now, the week before, week 16 of the NFL, a couple of days before Christmas, the NFL has two games on Saturday. December 30th, the day of the bowl game, the day of the Orange Bowl, etc. There's only one NFL game. And the next week, they'll have multiple games on that first Saturday in January. Uh, I'm going to assume that the New Year's Six Bowls have not done as well ratings-wise as ESPN had hoped. So the NFL game, especially a Cowboys game, should help make up for that. Uh ESPN would not have done this with the NFL if they felt like they had a good product with the New Year's Six stuff, right? Obviously it's a, next year it changes, it's going to be a 12 team playoff. These games are going to mean more, the ratings should should be better. Uh the New Year's Six games, I mean they've been declining in ratings. Uh you got guys opting out. Uh you know, to prepare themselves for the NFL draft, et cetera. It's interesting. We will now have a uh, an ESPN Saturday night NFL game after the Orange Bowl. This will be the first time in a long time that the Orange Bowl has not been at night. Either way. It's going to wrap up this edition of Winning Cures Everything. Again, uh, if you haven't already, click the like button for me. You guys know what it looks like right there. And, uh, and make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and the podcast. Like, remember the goal? I'm trying to get to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube this year. And, uh, and jump in the comments. Like, I want to know what you think about everything that we discussed today. Make sure you get signed up at BetUS. And as always, if there is something you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up. It's at GaryWCE on Twitter, or you can email me, Gary at winningcureseverything.com. Or, as I mentioned, you can always toss it in the comments or a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, etc. I hope you guys have wonderful weekends. Until next time, take care of yourself, take care of each other, uh, God bless college football, and hopefully, all your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. If you want to toss in a question, you can email me, Gary, at com. Make sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one.